This morning's reading is found in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 28. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace in the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked." I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe, 
because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, good morning. My name is Matt Full. I know that's a crazy reading to have on a baptism. I know, I know, I know. Ryan and Lulu were not nodding, sort of excited by the idea of having that as the kid's slot and reenacting it. I know, I know, I know, I know. This is what happens when you work your way through the Bible. You come to some crazy things. I know, I know. Let's pray. Let's pray together that God would help us as we look at this together. Our Heavenly Father, none of us, none of us thinks we have all wisdom. All of us think we would benefit from more wisdom, from competence in the complexities of this world and this life. So help us, we pray. Thank you that you've given us this man, Solomon, as a shadow of Jesus Christ, who in whom are all riches of wisdom. Help us as we look at this to grow in wisdom as we look to Jesus. We ask it in his great name. Amen. Now look, go on then, what would you go for? Verse 5, God appears, God appears to you, let's say, let's put it that way. God appears to you and says, ask for whatever you want and I'll grant it to you. Go on, what would you go for? No cheating, you can't have all the rest of the wishes of the rest of my life to come true. That would be my, you can't do it, it's one shot. One shot. What are you going to go for? It's not rhetorical. Well, it kind of is, because I don't want you to shout out. It's not a kid's slot. Uh, The answer is not Fireman Sam. That's not the answer. (laughs) What would you go for? Uh, I didn't know what I... Actually, I do know precisely what I would go for, and I'm not telling you. Uh, Not publicly. You could ask me if you want. But I googled, which is obviously an obvious thing to do. If I had one wish, if I had one wish, and I thought there's bound to be some sort of interest. It is very boring, very boring. Overwhelmingly, it comes in poems. If I had one wish, and most of it is love poems. The number one hit. If I had one wish, it would be to have your breath upon my neck. (laughs) Which, in context, is quite sweet, I guess. First thing in the morning, no, 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 go and clean your teeth. But, um, uh, you know, most, most, if I had one wish, most of them are sort of appeals for love. The second hit is a children's book, if I had one wish, about a boy who wished his brother had never been born and sounds all very slightly macabre. But anyway, what would it be for you? If you had just one hit, wisdom is what Solomon goes for. Solomon, what would you like? Wisdom. Discernment in the complexity of life. Wisdom. Now, if you're joining us today, uh, you're very welcome, and uh, welcome to uh, the story of a child almost cut into. No, I don't think that was ever going to happen. But we're looking then in, in this book of 1 Kings, so the life of Solomon this term in chapters 1 to 11 uh, in 1 Kings. And we've been saying that, um, really, from Solomon, you learn on two levels. Uh, level one, there's a sense in which he is a, a, a believer to follow. There's a sense in which you can copy him. For most of this section, certainly chapters one to nine, he lives wisely, and there are things you can learn from living wisely. We'll learn some things today. That's level one. But level two, the Bible is very clear that Solomon is for us uh, a hint, a shadow, a foretaste of Jesus Christ. 
Back in 2 Samuel 7, David is told, you'll have a son, Solomon, and he'll be a He'll be a foreshadowing of the one who is to come. When you get to the New Testament and Jesus arrives, he is described as the one who is greater than Solomon. So there are things you can look at Solomon and, and learn of Jesus Christ. In a sort of vaguely similar way, you can, you can look at Ryan Muir and learn things about Johnny Muir, probably. There's a foretaste in Father of what you'll get with the son, probably some mannerisms, because eventually we all end up behaving like our dads if we're men. We just do. It just happens. You can't avoid it. There's going to be a foretaste of mannerisms, of sort of physical appearance. You'll get a foretaste in the father of what you get in the son. But the son will be greater and more brilliant. If, if, if we're working, if that's possible, if we're working... In this sort of sense. In Solomon, you get a hint, a foretaste of the greater one who is to come. Look, I want to look at it this way. Uh, We'll look at the two main characters, Solomon and God. There's a fickle man and a faithful God in the first five verses. And then there are two things we need to learn. We'll go to the mountain and see that the wise man asks for wisdom. uh, And then we'll go to the courtroom and see that the king's justice can be trusted. Okay. So three little things. Let's look at the two main characters, first of all, in the drama, and then two things to learn. These two characters. There's a fickle man and a faithful God. Now, uh, just to give you some context, the first two chapters of the book, Solomon, is he going to be king? Is he not? There's a coup. There's a attempted coup. But where we got to last time, right at the end of chapter 2, verse 46, the last sentence, the kingdom was now firmly established in Solomon's hands. So he's king, great. By the end of chapter 3, where do we get to? By the end of this morning, chapter 3, verse 28, when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe. Brilliant, he's emerging to be an outstanding king. We'll see next week, chapter 4, everything he touches turns to gold almost. You know, He just can't have put a foot wrong. But these first few verses of chapter 3 are saying, it's going to be a mixed bag with Solomon. He's a faithful man, but, he, well, he's a fickle follower of the Lord as well. There's a note of ambiguity in these first three verses. So chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. Oops, don't do that. If Solomon knew his Bible, he knew. Deuteronomy 17, don't make a treaty with Egypt. Oops, shouldn't have done that. Uh, he's married Solomon's daughter, Oops, that's his second wife. Only have one wife. Bit of a boo-boo. And it's the second wife he's married who is not an Israelite. And again, in the book of Deuteronomy, God had said, look, the king must marry an Israelite. Otherwise, his heart will be led astray if he marries women from other religions and nations. And that is precisely what happens. So, oops, treaty with Egypt. Oops, marrying the wrong woman. And verse 2, the people are still sacrificing at the high places. Oops, Solomon really should have got on with building the temple in Jerusalem. The high places, that's not where they should be. It's a bit like saying, let's run church in a brothel. That would be inappropriate. But at these high places, there was this fertility religion. You'd go there, you'd engage with a prostitute, and that was your worship. That appealed to some people as religion. Can you work out why? I can't work. Anyway, but that was what took place. So to have church in a brothel, Solomon, you should have stamped that out. 
So, oops, he's not everything he's meant to be at this stage. And yet, verse 3. Verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father, David. Oh, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense with the heart. He went to the wrong church. But he loved the Lord. He's the only man in the Old Testament who's put it that in that blunt sort of terms. It's amazing. So he's a mixed bag, Solomon. You know, some things he gets right and some things he gets wrong. And his faith is fickle and that'll destroy him later on. Because what you see in Solomon, he is the wisest king who's ever lived up to this point, but he dies a fool because of this sort of fickleness in his faith. And so I think at this point you'd say, well, Solomon is just like any Christian believer. Every Christian will say, I love Jesus. But we often do silly things. Our faith is fickle. We don't do everything we should. Someone said to me this week, I said, how are you? And they said, look to the floor. I said, oh, I was hoping I wouldn't see you. Uh, which is always nice, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm doing the spiritual splits at the moment. Oh, what do you mean? Well, look, I know God is one. I know Jesus is wonderful. I know following him is great. I know he's kind and wonderful. And yet, and yet, and yet, there's just, I'm doing something I shouldn't, but I'm enjoying it. I'm just not wholehearted. That's Solomon. Solomon, he's fickle in his faith. But while you've got a fickle man, it's to this fickle man that God makes this extraordinary offer. It's not that God looks down and says, well, who's the most outstanding believer in the whole of the planet? It's Solomon. I'll give him this once-in-a-lifetime offer. Ta-da, it's the blank check, Solomon. What do you want? He looks down at a fickle man and says, what do you want? So verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. You shouldn't have been there. You should have been in Jerusalem. That's where he goes when God has given him wisdom. Anyway, he gets that wrong. But the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. And at Gibeon... The Lord, are, the Lord appears and says, verse 5, ask for whatever you want me to give you. This is not earned, this offer from Solomon. It's not deserved. It's just generosity. Give you a weak example. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone drove into the back of our car. It's okay. No one was hurt. And uh, insurance will pay for it. Uh, and uh, last Friday, the kindly insurance company, because uh, they, uh, they took away our car and uh, gave us a courtesy car. And um, our car is sensible size. This was just an absurd boat of a car. You know, you think, okay, if I was in the American Midwest, that's fine. If I had a drive about four meters, sorry, about 40 meters long, fine. But this thing was just absurd. It was a, a huge estate car. And um, Kerry, my wife, said, well, I'm not driving, that's all I'm not driving. I was just, I said, oh, I'll be fired, it's fired. I said, drove. Um, all right, on Monday, I'm changing on Monday when they're open again. Uh, last Sunday, a um, little bit late for church. Don't ever be late for church, ever. Um, but I was uh, pushing it, um, and uh, uh, it, it, when you're pushed for time, there's a sort of little, some will know, a little underground car park just on the street nearby, and uh, it's got quite a narrow ramp down to it and a bend on this underground car park. And our car, whoa, our car whizzes down it beautifully. 
bit longer, this car. And, uh, oh, I'll go in here. You won't fit down there. Yeah, well. It's halfway down. Oh. And it's, do I reverse, do I go, do I reverse, do I go? Oh, I don't know. And uh, you look at it and think, oh, that's whatever, how many hundred pounds that is. On Monday, went to the Enterprise, said, uh, uh, this car you've given us is a bit long. Can we have something smaller? My wife won't drive this one. And, uh, I've made... and, uh, and of course, the bloke says, yeah, thanks for that. You don't need to suck your teeth. It doesn't, doesn't help when you suck your teeth. And he says, oh, best talk to the manager about that one. Oh, you know, this is not the Oscars. You don't have to. Um, <laughs> anyway, back he comes and says, "Oh, actually, the manager says we'll waive the excess." She's just—I don't know—you've called her on a good day. And um, anyway, we're giving you this one, this SUV. Oh, what is it? Oh, let me. Well, this is better. Yeah, yeah, that's what you get today. And this is better, you know, it goes sort of naught to 60 in about nine penalty points. It's, and it's a sort of, it's really nice, height, feel very, it's Chelsea tractor in London, lovely. Uh, and we get our old car back, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, and then we, do I tell you that? When I was shown there both mercy and grace, that's where I'm going with this, I should have had to pay an excess for scraping the car. It was my fault, my pride, trying to get through a space too small, my idiocy, my fault. But they said, no, it's fine. We'll be kind. And then I was shown grace. I was given an even nicer car. Terrific. That is Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I recommend them to you. (laughs) It's a free advert. There's no sponsorship. Uh, But anyway, there we go. Now, those are biblical words. When you are shown mercy... That is, God does not treat you as your sins deserve. Actually, for how we relate to one another, how we push God out of our lives, there is justice, but God says, you don't have to, I will take that away from you. I will wipe that away, as we saw earlier, in the death of Jesus Christ. And he gives us grace, which is what we don't deserve. He takes away what we do deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve, grace, which is, I'll call you my child. You'll inherit with my son, Jesus Christ. You'll reign over the new creation. It's wonderful. Mercy, a removal, a grace, a generosity. And that's the sort of God who appears to Solomon. Despite Solomon's fickle, fitful obedience, God is generous. God is faithful to him. Very wonderful. He's in mercy and grace. So that's the characters, and that's the backdrop. And we need to know that if you're a regular, we'll see the sort of failures of Solomon. He's a good, he goes up and down. We'll see that over the next few weeks. But let's look at the detail, the detail of this story. Let's go to two places then, up the mountain and then into the courtroom. Two things I think we'll learn. First, in verses 4 to 15, the wise man asks for wisdom. The wise man asks for wisdom, verses 4 to 15. Now, this section is dominated by ask. So you get it uh, straight away, uh, that the verb to ask. So verse 5, God says, ask for whatever you want. Uh, then you get into verse 10, Solomon asked for this. Verse 11, God says, since you've asked for this and not asked for that. Verse 12, I'll do what you've asked. Verse 13, I'll give you what you've not asked for. Eight times you get the verb asking. That's the, sort of, that's the big idea. What do you want? What, what does Solomon ask for? And God responding to his asking. 
that's the, where the emphasis goes. And I think there's stuff that we can learn from this. Uh, as I look around, I, I don't see the queen, so I don't think any of us are monarchs ruling over a kingdom, as Solomon was. But I think just God's response is so positive here. Verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So pleased. I think that there are things that certainly a Christian could learn about how to pray. Just four little things. Let's punch through them quickly. First, what does Solomon get right? Well, he recognizes God's faithfulness. So verse 6. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. He was faithful to you, righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness. Kindness is a big Old Testament word, has had in the Hebrew. Kindness, faithfulness, loving faithfulness, never letting go. Solomon, before he asks anything, says, I recognize who you are. I recognize how you treat me. And therefore, I'll pray this. Which is always a healthy way to pray. At central church prayer meetings, we'll always pray, first of all, praise to who God is. Because when you remember his character, it helps you pray effectively. <laughs> the famous hymn of John Newton, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. And the very beautiful lines, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. It's just good to know. You can't ask too much. That's the God. And, and Solomon remembers who he's praying to. That's the first little thing. Second thing, he perceives his own weakness. Verse 7. Uh, oh, Lord, my God, uh, you made your servant king in place of my father, David. I'm only a little child. It's not literally the case. He is a grown-up. I don't know how to carry out my duties. I don't know what to do. He's beyond his competence. But that's okay. Still, as uh, we were reminded at the beginning, James... Chapter 1 in the New Testament, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. He gives generously without finding fault. They just ask. I find that a very encouraging verse. Remarkably so. God loves to be asked. He's generous to give. Uh, Solomon, third little thing, he asks for the benefit of others. Verse 9. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. Who is able to govern this great people of yours? good to be concerned for others and not just himself in prayer? What do you want, Solomon? Ask for it. And Solomon says, well, it's not all about me. I care about the others. That's striking, isn't it? Last little thing. He actually asks for discernment. Discernment. Verse 9. Give your servant a discerning heart, literally a hearing heart. The heart in Hebrew thought being just who you are. Yes, your, your emotions, but also your thinking. Solomon is saying, give me, give me a phenomenal IQ and EQ, emotional intelligence, great thinking intelligence. Give me insight into human nature so I know how to rule in the complexities of this world. That's what he wants. The Lord's response is intriguing, verse 10, he's pleased. Verse 11, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, what I'm going to give you is, verse 13, 
wealth, verse 14, and long life. It's just quite a striking list. God says, you, you didn't ask for wealth or long life or the death of your enemies, so I will give you wealth and long life. Uh, and the death of your enemies is a questionable thing to ask for, so let's not go there. We had dealt with that last week. But um, it's very striking. God says, those are good things. Wealth, long life, good things. But if you haven't got wisdom, they're of limited use to you. I read this week of Marcus Person. He's the bloke who invented Minecraft. If you don't know what Minecraft is, you're fortunate. But Minecraft is this sort of slightly ubiquitous uh, uh, computer game that uh, children and people too old to be children but still play uh, relentlessly where you sort of dig things and make things. And it's made this guy millions. In fact, he sold his company, Marcus Person, last year for £1.5 billion. Pounds. That's quite good for a sort of blocky computer game. But he's miserable. It's very sad. And this article was just following his tweets that he puts out regularly. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm hanging out in Ibiza and partying with famous people. I've never been so isolated. Very sad. He's got all the money in the world, but his friends, well, they're too busy at work. They haven't got time just to play. His girlfriend has left him because he's become odd, apparently. His staff at his old firm hate him for how he took all the money, didn't give them anything. It's very sad, actually. He's got all the money in the world, but not wisdom. It's just a reminder. These are good things. Money, good thing. Long life, good thing. Without wisdom, well, it could be very destructive. And so certainly you get to the New Testament and James, as we say, James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. It gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. The wise man asks for wisdom. I think there's much you can learn. We can learn about how to pray. But the second thing, and I think probably is the, 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 the chief burden or the main idea of the passage, the, chief, the second thing would be this. In the courtroom, you see that the king's justice can be trusted. Verses 16 to 28, this extraordinary story, two prostitutes, one baby, one king, and a sword. The king's justice can be trusted. Verses 16 to the end. It's funny, actually, because there's a striking parallel. Did you see the parallel in the, in the press? It was just at the end of last month of uh, Richard Cushworth, his wife, Mercedes. Did, did you read that, the, the couple? that had a baby by emergency C-section in San Salvador. He, white Caucasian, uh, she, uh, Latin American, uh, and they went home with uh, a very dark-skinned baby and said, well, this is just not right. It took them three months. But eventually, yes, DNA testing done, and there'd been a, some confusion in the hospital. Was it deliberate? Well, the, the legal case will run. But they're delighted eventually to get it sorted out. Maybe these things still happen. Now, if Solomon had DNA testing, things would have been easier. But Solomon didn't have that. Now, I don't know how well you know this story, but it is a miserable story. I mean, tragic for both women, I think. One woman knows her baby's been stolen. Can you imagine anything more heartrending? But also for the other woman, what sort of state are you in? What desperation, what grieving, what misery to steal another child and replace your own dead child? I mean, you've got to be in a miserable place. These are two deeply unhappy women. 
coming before Solomon. And he needs discernment. Now, I know to us, verse 24 seems a very strange way of solving the case. But presumably, we're not told all the details, but presumably he'd observed the women, observed how they were interacting and fighting, and thought this is the way to get them to reveal their true colors. There's no indication in the text he actually intended to carry this out. That would be brutal and not a wise thing. But he's worked out this, is, this will get them to reveal who they are. Now, the main point of the chapter is in verse 28. People recognize here is a man, here is a king with unusual, supernatural wisdom to administer justice. He had wisdom from God to administer justice. That's the issue. So let me just observe three little things about this justice. Because I think at this point it's very clearly a, a, a foretaste, an advert for the greater justice of Jesus Christ. First little thing will be, here is justice for everyone. Justice for everyone. It's striking who comes before Solomon. Two prostitutes. Now, I don't know about you. I am probably deemed a respectable person, whether I am or not, you don't know. But I am probably deemed a respectable person, but I've never been called for an audience before the queen. Here are two prostitutes get to go before the king. That's, that's unusual, isn't it? But he cares about these sort of people. It's not just the princes, the wealthy that come before him. Isn't that striking? This king cares for the powerless of the culture. That's wonderful. Solomon himself will write later on in the Bible in Psalm 72. He'll write of Jesus Christ, the coming king. He will judge the people with righteousness. He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help them. That's brilliant. It's justice for everyone, no matter what your status in society. Second little thing, it's not just justice for everyone, it's perfect justice. You get to the New Testament and it's very clear, for example, Romans chapter 2, verse 14, Paul can write, there will be a day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as the gospel declares. Now that's Good and bad to know, isn't it? That at the end of history, when we all stand before God, but when we all stand before Jesus Christ, he knows everything, every secret. That's both encouraging. There will be perfect justice for refugees evicted miserably, for a President Assad who's willing to bomb his people, for ISIS who are willing to behead innocent victims. There'll be justice, but secrets revealed as well. That's a little more unsettling. But it's good to know that justice is perfect. I don't know if you've ever done jury service, if that's, uh, your numbers ever come up for that. Uh, once, on one occasion, I had to do jury service. It was a case of GBH, grievous bodily harm, of uh, a sort of violent attack in a nightclub. And um, we as the jury went away and uh, it took a while to reach a verdict. In the end, we had to go for a minority. We couldn't all agree on it, but the judge was willing to accept that. Um, partly because it was, uh, I think, Christmas Eve and he just wanted to go home. Um, and it's just slightly frightening that those things have an impact upon justice and he didn't want the case uh, rumbling on. But we agreed and we said, guilty. And I was the foreman of the jury and I had to stand up and say, guilty. And I think that was the right verdict. I think so. I think beyond reasonable doubt he was guilty. But I don't know for certain. 
Beyond reasonable doubt, yeah, we eventually got to that point, most of us. But 100% certainty, no. No, the nightclub CCTV was broken that night. And... But so you do want a judge who knows everything, don't you? Who sees everything. There's no miscarriages, no uncertainty, but perfect justice. That's what you want. So justice for everyone, perfect justice. Last little thing. When you get to Jesus Christ, there is justice fused with mercy. Because the problem for you and me is we don't want our secrets revealed. Not all of them. The uh, last month, the... uh, the story came out of the Ashley Madison website, you know, the adultery website for those who are married. That was a miserable story as it played out, wasn't it? I mean, just everywhere, I think. Miserable that there's such a website that exists to encourage adulterous affairs amongst those who are married. Miserable so many people signed up to it. Miserable that spouses got so hurt when they saw the name of their husbands or wives on it. But I, I don't know what you thought. I, I think also, actually, the sort of judgmentalism that sort of flowed out was also pretty miserable. There was sort of vindictiveness about it, a delight in the sort of people being shamed, a delight in lives being ruined that for myself I found slightly unpleasant, miserable all round. Because all of us have secrets. All of us have done things, said things, that if they were exposed would be horrified. It would be desperately embarrassed. It would ruin friendships, upset families for years. We know that. So how wonderful that alongside one, a judge who gives justice perfectly, that justice is fused with mercy in Jesus Christ. That's wonderful because the shame that you and I would naturally feel when all our secrets are laid bare... Well, the heart of the Christian message is Jesus has died to take that sin and shame. So you get justice and mercy fused. Oh, there's justice because there should be punishment for some of the things we say and think and do. But Jesus takes that mercy as that is taken away. Both are there. There's justice, there's punishment, but mercy. Because it falls upon him and not upon me. It's very striking the Ashley Madison thing as it came out, one of the more miserable statistics in the States, I don't know what it came up with in the UK, but in the States, apparently 400 church leaders were on that website list. 400 church leaders exposed and had to resign. No, I don't know if they did. Most of them just signed up and they never did anything. But how foolish to sign up to a site such as that. But the one who made the news most of all was John Gibson. I think uh, he was the pastor who committed suicide. And his wife, Christy, very bravely spoke about it in the press. Uh, She said this. John talked about his depression and what had taken place. He talked about having his name out there and repeatedly said he was sorry. Very, very sorry. He never acted, he never had an affair, but his name was on that list and he was so sorry. 
What we know about him is that he poured his life into other people. He offered grace and mercy and forgiveness to everyone else, but somehow he couldn't extend it to himself. Isn't that striking? He's a pastor. He'd tell people there's grace in Jesus Christ, there's mercy, there's forgiveness, but he couldn't couldn't accept that himself. He just held on to his shame and was just broken by it. He just signed up. He didn't act. But that was a foolish thing to do. And when he was exposed, somehow he didn't quite get that alongside the shame of exposure, alongside having all our secrets exposed and revealed and the shame of that, Jesus Christ brings mercy. He is the perfect judge, but he's died to pay for the moral failures of John Gibson and of me and of you. So this is a wonderful one. You can trust this king's justice. Justice for everyone. The highest in society, the lowest in society. It's perfect justice. Everything gets revealed. All secrets open. But it is justice fused with mercy as well. All our secrets are revealed, but if you're trusting in the death of Jesus Christ for you, all your secrets paid for, all your shames dealt with, the king's justice can be trusted but so can his mercy. And anyone who has a modicum of self-awareness knows you need both in this world. You need a king who judges justly, but you need mercy for yourself. Let me lead us as we pray. Our Father, you're willing to give us vivid, slightly shocking stories so that we get it into our heads that perfect justice is available from your king. And even though Solomon was a flawed man, his greater descendant, your son, Jesus Christ, is the perfect judge and king. So thank you that we can look forward to his justice with no miscarriages, with everything revealed, And everything given the right, perfect sentence. But also, what a relief that in him there's mercy. That there is mercy. And we pray that uh, for those of us trusting in Jesus Christ, we wouldn't just know that in our heads. We wouldn't just talk of grace and mercy and forgiveness. But we would know that ourselves. Pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen.